Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. Phil, who's on our show today? Yeah, we got the Mark and Jan Foreman and, uh, it is a great interview. I had so much fun with them. I was able to go down to uh, Oceanside, uh, actually Carlsbad, California, and do the interview with Mark and Jan. And it was at North Coast Calvary Chapel, which is Mark is the pastor of that church. And they also wrote a book called Never Say No, which in, in uh, a few weeks or a few months time, we're going to be able to have that interview for you guys as well. But today, as part of the Refugee Crisis series, um, Mark also made a movie called Iraq, The Forgotten Hope, and he was able to go over to Iraq, to northern Iraq, and really make this this movie by interviewing some great people, actually interviewing Jeremy Courtney, who's going to be on this series later on, uh, Jacqueline Isaac, um, and, and a couple other folks that, that you can, I know you can learn a lot once this, uh, this movie is available to the public, which hopefully will be really soon. Um, but I was able to sit down with, with them and talk about what, they, what they've learned in, in making the movie, um, how we can get involved, just what different ministries are doing over in Iraq, and really just give us an on-the-ground view of what's going on there by someone who really you know, was able to come in from the outside but really get a good idea through meeting people and having some great conversations. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to be able to um, join me in this conversation. And it was so great. I was able to just sit in their office or uh, in Mark's office and just have a great conversation with these uh, two amazing people who have become my good friends over the years. So without any more, we're going to take you straight to that interview with Mark and Jan Foreman. You recently made a movie, um, or part of making a movie. I know you didn't make the whole thing yourself, but uh, you were a big part of it. It's called Iraq, A Forgotten Hope. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing 10, 15 years ago, you weren't thinking you were going to be walking into Iraq and going around and making this movie, talking with people and understanding it. And Jan, your your reaction tells me that he wasn't thinking of that. And if he was, he didn't share it with you. Um, but can you just tell our audience, you know, and again, we'll have a link to this, this movie, which I recommend everyone go and watch because it gives such a great picture and glimpse into what is really going on in Iraq right now, which, you know, obviously it's so much more than you could put into a 40 minute movie, but what inspired you to go to Iraq and make the film? It was right here on these church grounds that a, a, a church member brought two of his friends uh, to meet with me, uh, and they were Assyrian. Uh, born and raised in Iraq and now Americans and um, they uh, said that this person who goes to your church said that you might listen to us and they began to explain the plight of the Assyrian people in northern Iraq in specifically the area region called Kurdistan mm -hmm. And they said, you know, genocide is happening. At the time, our country had not declared it genocide. Nobody cares. Our people are being wiped out. And I already knew about the Assyrian people. They, of course, are the historic people that invaded Israel the six or 700 BC, but they were also in the first century AD, one of the first people groups to become Christians. So, uh, they either in orthodox form or catholic form were a, a people group that all went all the way back to the first century as christians and to think of them being annihilated and wiped out as a people group i, I we have uh, 38 
acres here as a church, we only get to use 17 acres because 17 of the other acres is devoted to the gnat catcher who's an endangered bird. Mm -hmm. um, and so that those are the requirements that government put on us mm -hmm. with this property. So we care about endangered species, but we often don't care about endangered um, people groups, right. uh, especially if they're Christian. And uh, so they said, nobody cares. And I said, well, I care. Right. And they said, well, what can we do? And I said, well, we got to we got to let other people know. And they said, any, any ideas? And I asked him, I said, well, how connected are you in Iraq? And uh, one of them said, well, I can get you in to see anybody you want. You know, whether you want to see the Pope, you know, as, as we would refer him to, uh, to him as, or if you want to see the president of the Assyrian people, you want to get into refugee camps, front lines, whatever, right. I can get you there. And I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, and we'll get the word out. And uh, so we took two trips there. Um, uh, Joel Parker, who did the film, he took three trips there. And, uh, it, it, and we took the best cameras, the same cameras that filmed Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we took the top drawer filmers camera people that were right there and uh, we did it low budget and um, I just took it on as a project no we didn't have funds to do it mm -hmm. so I just went out to, to friends that I knew that might have a passion for this and threw a party and say hey <laughs> you want to help support this it was kind of like building a tree house or a lemonade stand <laughs> right. it was outside of a church budget there's no budget for right. us and and it came out turned out phenomenal yeah I agree. It was yeah. So you, in the film, you meet everything, everybody from refugees, uh, the Assyrian people groups that I mentioned, and I present some options, some political options for their future. We go to the front lines a couple times. Uh, we meet people, Christians on the front lines, Jeremy Courtney, uh, um, Jacqueline Isaac, who is helping Yazidi girls who have mm -hmm. been raped by ISIS. Mm -hmm. So you get a sampling of all these different, and then this wonderful pastor at the end, mm -hmm. who happens to be Iraqi, who's holistically reaching out and probably one of the best examples because these other examples are, are Americans that are coming right. and doing something in Iraq, but this is grassroots happening right there in Iraq. And it, it ends, even though it's very bleak, it ends with a lot of hope, seeing what people are doing uh, in this yeah. difficult region. And can you speak to that? It was, it was eye-opening and somewhat depressing to me, actually, when you were meeting with the Assyrian governmental officials. And, and you were asking them, you know, what is your hope? And they were like, we can't do anything, effectively, was the answer. Yeah. But as you talk about in the title of the movie, The Forgotten Hope, you know, for Iraq and, and really for other people groups affected by the massive refugee crisis. You know, we talk about, for those of you listening here, this is maybe the first um, interview you're listening to about the refugee crisis. Right now, the, the current conflict in the Middle East is really, it's been dubbed the greatest humanitarian crisis of all time. Um, over 50,000 have been killed, 3.3 million displaced in Iraq alone. Um, and the numbers are far greater in Syria. Christians, Yazidis, and Shia Muslims are at the center of the persecution. 
that's the the movie talks about that. And really, it's a quote from the movie. But but these leaders in Assyria, it seems like they don't have really any hope in the midst of it. Well, they, um, they've been a minority uh, in Iraq for these hundreds of years, thousands, and uh, and and so they don't have the power to do something and they would like to be in a position of uh, much like the native americans here where they have reservations and they're allowed to live in protected land mm -hmm. uh, but they're they're swallowed up by uh, a muslim culture and uh, when islam turns dark towards christianity they're very much the victims of that right. And of course, Mosul was their capital, mm -hmm. and, and we're just still trying to re recapture and free Mosul. So the Assyrian people have really been looking to the American government to change things and right. use their power. And when there was a no-fly zone, there was protection, but uh, we have changes of administrations, and they've seen three changes now, and it's really giving them a bleak picture of, of, of help ever coming based on American administrations. In fact, the first uh, administration with Saddam and, and George Bush, they, they felt like we came in and just pretty much annihilated everything with our bombing and, mm -hmm. and the war. And then suddenly another administration comes in with Obama and his tactic is to back out of Iraq. Right. And so now they, the Assyrians feel abandoned because at least Saddam is a strong man protected Christians and now there's no one there to protect them right and then and now we have a new administration again and we don't know what that will be so um, what I was pressing them in the meeting we have you know a lot of footage of that that right. is in yeah. the film uh, that I as an American know that probably there isn't a plan right yeah we're not the saviors yeah so the, the hope that we finally get to you know is is really the hope that we as Christians mm -hmm. live with. Not only that Jesus Christ is our hope, but he's called us to be the light of the world. And where we may as human beings have a tendency to run away from pain and darkness, that, that we should be running towards that. Uh, and, and certainly Jeremy is, and Jacqueline Isaac is, and... Uh, um, Dave Eubanks in the movie is mm -hmm. they're all running towards the pain towards and and then there's this little church right. in Iraq that is running towards the darkness and the pain and that is the hope right. and uh, and I'm and that's the future of the church there and if the Assyrian people will run towards it rather than you know because it is it's been shocking demoralizing they've lost their homes their right. houses they're living either now in America Canada Europe or living in refugee camps in Erbil alone, which is the present capital to Mosul is free. There's 42 refugee camps, right. you know, that's in one right. little tiny 40,000 member city. There's that many refugees. And so it's just the problem, as you said, is astronomical. And then if you go outside of Iraq to Syria, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, and then you go to Europe, you realize this this is incredible. Jan can actually speak to yeah. some Yazidi girls that she visited in Germany. Love to hear. Well, I got to tag on to what Jacqueline Isaacs mm -hmm. 
was um, doing in the movie. So now some of these girls who've been rescued have been uh, privileged to live in Germany, mm. and they're going to be put in other places, I understand. But we got to go and um, meet these gals and befriend them and got to watch Jackie set up her Tech Over Trauma program right. there, where they're dealing holistically with the problems, hearing their stories, we're befriending them, building relationships over the sea, mm -hmm. and the connecting them with uh, trauma counselors as well yeah. as English teachers. That is a bridge of hope for these right. girls who've often lost parents, siblings. Uh, it gives them a way forward, and um, we were able to see the transformation, even since the film, some of those mm -hmm. same girls I got to meet in Germany, and it was pretty encouraging yeah. to see how God can redeem even that. Right. And can you share um, the, the Tech Over Trauma program that Jackie has started? Um, in the refugee camps, really. Mm -hmm. Can you explain, describe that to our audience? That you know, I definitely recommend watching it on the movie. You can sure. see it, but can you just describe for them just briefly about the stories and maybe even a story of how it's actually helped the girls that they're working? Sure. Well, what can you do so far away? Mm -hmm. And people can't always come and visit. But she pairs groups of girls with a wonderful Christian counselor who does trauma counseling who also speaks the language. Mm. And once a week, these girls will gather and they will interact with this counselor who guides them through um, and toward healing. And then also once over a Skype, week. Over Skype, right? Over Skype, yeah. yeah. So you uh, right a, on the computer. Use a very simple device that yep. attaches to your laptop that mm -hmm. projects the image right. onto the side of the tent mm -hmm. in the refugee camp. So it's bigger than mm -hmm. life. And, and these counselors and uh, language teachers become big sisters to these mm -hmm. girls and there's not only uh, learning that's going on there's there's huge uh, emotional effect mm -hmm. going on as they're bonded and they're right. receiving hope because it's every week certain days certain times so that's something right. that's even in and of itself that rhythm of of uh, conversation that's really yeah. been a it's just a, a brilliant idea. Yeah. And, and so so cheap, mm -hmm. right? So easy. Absolutely. So, uh, when Jan went to Germany, she uh, got they got a, a San Diego company to donate some laptops, mm -hmm. and they're delivering laptops to southern Germany so that they can begin this tech over trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. It's pretty portable. And, absolutely. And how cheap is Skype? That, no, absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why I talk to people all the time when they say, "Well, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't." Want, I said, mm -mm. "Hey." You can do anything from mm -hmm. your bedroom, yeah. mm -hmm. literally, you know, in your pajamas. You can mm -hmm. talk to people. We see the dark people. side of technology, mm -hmm. but this is the bright mm -hmm. side. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, for those of you out there who don't know, we do our interviews with people all over the world um, mm -hmm. on Skype for this <laughs> podcast and <laughs> wouldn't be able to exist without it, like you said. And mm -hmm. I think there was actually a Q talk where, where we have met um, uh, <laughs> on that back, I think, nine, eight, nine years ago, talking about everything has its shadow. Right, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that technology is one of those things that we can use it for tremendous good, mm -hmm. and that's what I saw through that, um, through the movie. And also, there were some other hopeful things that uh, Dave Eubanks, his wife, has a ministry called the Good Life Club with kids. And as we're talking about on this show, obviously, we're talking about orphan and vulnerable children, and 
there are so many involved in the refugee crisis of the of the you know kind of the victims of the crisis are orphaned vulnerable kids and and how can we love them and i think this tech over trauma is a great example just coming in entering in with these kids there were a couple other things and as you said mark the the forgotten hope really is that it's in the people it's in loving the people and i think both jeremy um jeremy courtney said something you know even when the world is scary as hell we're going to Mm -hmm. love anyway Mm -hmm. one of his great quotes Mm -hmm. and then dave eubank said um and in when he was just (laughs) that's the the movie is worth the interview Mark did with Dave. That they're just sitting behind a bunker, having a normal conversation, of course. And he's talking about you know bombs going off in the background, and you know if something goes over us, don't worry about it. We're all right. Um, and it was just like they were sitting in a coffee shop. It was fantastic. But during that conversation, he said, "All, um, all of us are in it with these people. They're not that different from us." Yeah. And then you said a couple days ago on Twitter, Mark. Um, I've been a man in love. I've been a man who is right. Now I want to be a man who rightly loves. Um, given all of those things, how can all of us around the world, how can everyone listening in on this, wherever we are in the world, really get practically get involved in, in alleviating the crisis? And how can we love in any way and rightly love um, in the mm. midst of this crisis when so many people we see as quote unquote enemies, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it, I'll just shoot from the hip and and tell you what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's step by step. It's it's saying yes again to the opportunities that come your way. So that's all the movie was. That was just a saying yes mm-hmm. to an opportunity. But now um, here, even though we as a church are involved in refugees in different parts of the world, we found out that there are a thousand. Syrian and Iraqi families here in San Diego. Mm. Families, a right. thousand. So that's a that's a big hamburger to eat for our church, mm-hmm. you know. And so how do we do that? Well, we've just started step by step. So we've adopted a family. We have probably a dozen people now that go down to El Cajon, which is forty five minutes away right. from here, uh, with a translator to de- befriend, to help, to to be transportation for. Um, we had a great day uh, three weeks ago where we brought up a, mu- a bunch of the families up here uh, to, to do some training. And then we had a big banquet going on out in the courtyard when church let out. So when people are coming out of the church, they see in the courtyard women uh, with their head covered, and they're 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 selling um, Arab items that um, food items, you know, mostly desserts, and they're raising money for our outreach to them. And you could just f- see all the heads spinning right. as they're trying to. And they realize, oh my gosh, we talk about this. This is mostly over there, but it, it's it's right here right. as well. So I I don't know everybody can do something around the world but you know if you expand the definition of ref- refugee and orphan to just disenfranchised people even mm-hmm. kids in a family where maybe there's uh, uh, kids that are being abused you right. know there, there's something in front of us where we can run towards it rather than running away from right. it yeah, and I think what we talked about earlier that you know that quote talking about 
we'll be drawn to a part of the world that needs our light, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It may not be going to Iraq. Yeah. It may mm -hmm. the likelihood is most of us will never go to Iraq. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. The mm -hmm. challenge for us here here in the States is there's always this political banter mm -hmm. going on. You know, there's blues and red attitudes towards every single issue. So in, in regards to refugees, there's that that there's been a political banter going on about them. They, should they be here? Shouldn't right. they be? Should we have more, not more, and everything else? And I just told our church, I, you know, I'm not playing that game. Right. I, you know, there's a thousand already here, and it, it has nothing to do with blue or red. It just has to do with the Bible. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, if, if I don't help them, uh, someone will, right. maybe with a different ideology. Right. And so why not? And why not now? And if not now, when? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So I want to ask you both, you know, because um, I think it would have impacted differently because you are you are one. <laughs> You're married. <laughs> how did the how did making the film change you? I think any time uh, it, it's very much akin to raising kids, but uh, anytime something takes me to the edge of myself, by edge of myself, I mean my comfort zone, uh, I have to intensely think through uh, Christianly, how, what do I do here? What do I respond to this? And, and everything's going off inside of me emotionally. Um, if, if that happens, I come back here a better husband, a better father, a better pastor. Um, because I, I reboot, I, I rediscover me in front of Jesus, and uh, that's what it did for me. Mm. I'm wondering if maybe Germany did that for you. Well, something we talk about in our book, particularly with adolescents, it's important to create opportunities that um, cause a good disequilibrium mm -hmm. in your kids mm -hmm. because it shows them the relevance of their faith. Why do I read the Bible? Why do I pray? Why do I need other believers? So when you're in these edgy situations, it really does cause you to to pray like never before. Mm -hmm. The relevance of scripture comes to light. And so when he went to Iraq, I mean, there were some filmers that whose families did not want them to go. But I, I, I knew that he he needs to see God there because God is already there. Mm -hmm. I think Dave Eubanks said that mm -hmm. in the movie God's Everywhere. He's he's there. Mm -hmm. And so he's there as much as he is here. So that mm -hmm. causes you to to believe more into your faith, but also seeing the refugees in such a a crazy convoluted situation and hearing their stories. It's you share the trauma with them. But there again, I think you can find Jesus in in a lot of these places you see who he is maybe even more in right. a situation where someone's just gone through tremendous heartache and you're holding them and you're praying for them in that situation don't you think you you sense more of god's presence mm -hmm. so um we we really believe um in in Christianity lived on the edge because we think that's where God is. Absolutely. He no. does his best work there. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up that disequilibrium. I actually had it in the outline, didn't use it earlier, so you must have known that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we could talk for so much longer about this, but I know that we're, we're needing to wrap it up, and we always wrap it up with two questions. We ask our guests, and 
Um, the first is what have you read, watched, or listened to that uh, has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? Well, I'll tell you what I'm reading now. Um, I'm actually listening to it in audiobook form because mm-hmm. I've read it twice. <laughs> uh, and it's C.S. Lewis' autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Mm. And uh, what's really striking me it, uh, once more is his childhood. It was, it was not the perfect childhood by any means, both with losing his mom at the age of nine uh, and then also being shipped off to schools by his dad, that schools probably he should have never attended. Um, and, that, and yet he emerged as this mm-hmm. amazing author and thinker, but also that became most famous for his children's books, yeah. <laughs> Narnia. Right. So um, it, it, it shows me, you know, okay, here's a disenfranchised kid that um, God reached out to and saved from atheism. And, uh, and then he, in the end of his life, is really reaching out to kids and thinking like a kid and writing books uh, that are going to help kids discover uh, the nature of God. And uh, it, I think the idea is that reaching out to one child, you have no idea the assist and the impact that that child is going to have on society. Mm. Certainly our kids have had a bigger mm-hmm. footprint than we do. Mm-hmm. And who could have known that? Right. And uh, so just gives me the, uh, the importance of always reaching out to that one child. In that case, C.S. Lewis was that one child. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. For me, I, I just go more re- more recently, two nights ago, we saw a play that was a solo performance on Thoreau. Mm. I, was, I guess the correct pronunciation is Thoreau. Um, and I was really challenged again by some of those lines, how we so often can be absorbed in the superficial and in consumeristic culture. It was just a really good reminder that we don't really need much. The essentials in life are right here, and to take time to pause, to to be still and appreciate the simple pleasures, and I think that does apply across the board to to kids too. Giving space in our lives to just be, right. be with each other, fly a kite or mm-hmm. go make a sandcastle or do something that recaptures the um, the simplicity of the relationship because we can get so cluttered right. in our lives that we forget what's really valuable Absolutely. and meaningful. And the last question, um, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love? I would pick um, a gal in Thailand named Rose Martinez. She went there to be an evangelist and God led her to take orphans in and that was the best evangelistic cool she could have because these were kids who'd been abandoned mm-hmm. and uh, she has quite uh, a wonderful home there she calls it the happy home but from an early age she trains these kids she loves on them she raises them to be thinking independent god-loving disciples mm-hmm. and now it's gone full circle she um has these people 
now raising more kids mm. and the quality of her work shows for generations. Right. So mm. I think what I've seen from Rose is that that is God's heart. Mm -hmm. You want to save souls, start with the child mm. and make an impact on a child. And mm. that is changing the nation. Mm. And that was uh, what it's been wonderful to watch. We've known her for right. years and years and years. So to see that full circle mm -hmm. is uh, quite a yeah, quite a story. I think mine would be similar. A uh, gal named Jackie Pullinger, who uh, at the age of seventeen, who she was in the Philharmonic London Philharmonic Orchestra, brilliant oboist, um, felt the call of God to go somewhere in the world. And uh, as she again thought she was going to do some great evangelistic work, and um, and God called her to what was then the walled city of Hong Kong. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was uh, a walled-off part of Hong Kong where law enforcement officers didn't go in. Hmm. So the opium dens and, and the crime and the abuse of kids was rampant inside hmm. there. And so she sold her oboe, which hmm. was quite valuable, to live on uh, the first few months there. And uh, she would meet with uh, young kids that were already opium addicts and um, or being abused and uh, she would pray with them become a mom to them and um, she built up uh, her family mm -hmm. and uh, and lived there and and this is we've known her for 40 years and she's still in Hong Kong now pastoring mm. and uh, still doing the work that she's doing uh, only even greater from Hong Kong and into China. But it's, it's that same idea of just trying to get the, the heart of Jesus mm -hmm. um, and the same idea of, of not living in a dichotomy where we think one thing is evangelism, one thing right. is hel helping people, but it's holistically one thing mm -hmm. that leads to one thing. Yeah. And uh, Jackie has modeled it well. Mm -hmm. Well, again, I you know I know there's so many more stories um, that you guys have people you've been doing this for a while, so I think there's people all over the place. But thanks again for your time. Thank this you. has been such oh, a treat. So fun. Thank you so much. And Sorry. I like I said, we could talk for hours and hours. But I appreciate uh, the work you do. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad that you all out there got to just have a glimpse into the relationship that I've been able to have with Mark and Jan. They're such an amazing couple. And I was actually, it was so cool. I was able to, and I talked about this a little bit before the interview, but I was able to really um, just sit down with them in Mark's office. And he was just sitting on his chair, kind of curled up and, and talking. And I was having a conversation with him and Jan. And even my wife was in the room with us. And so it was just really cool to have a, a almost a living room conversation that you out there were able to, to be a part of. And and so it's just, it's it was something that I absolutely love what I do. I love being able to have these conversations with these very wise people about things that are so important in the world and be able to share it with you all out there. And, and the hope is that we have, both Karen and I um, have, is that you'll engage with us and you'll you know, give comments on Facebook and you'll give comments on the website and, and just really start reviewing the podcast and letting us know how we can do this better. And if you can do that on iTunes and rate this podcast, that's something that would help us in so many ways. It would help get this out to more people and also just share it with people so that we can have this conversation. And, 
you know, it, to that, to that point, you know, this conversation that we're having, Karen, I, you know, I was, I was listening, you know, to, to Mark and Jan talk about the tech over trauma program. And I saw it in the movie and hopefully again, you, you know, we'll have the link on the website for the, for the trailer. Um, but the movie's not quite available yet. But, uh, when you're able to see it, one of the things that I was, you know, just really wondering is, you know, from your expertise, Karen, with the tech over trauma, seeing this, you know, via Skype, you know, to do an interview via Skype is one thing, but to do counseling and education on these really difficult issues, you know, what, what is, what are you feeling on that from, from, you know, your, your position as a clinical psychologist and someone who has some expertise in this area? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think it's a, a great question, and I think their program, in my personal and, and professional opinion combined, I think it's an amazing and great program. In general, telehealth uh, related to not only mental health services, but also medical services in general, has really started to become um Maybe more of the norm is too strong of a word, but it's become more relevant in the last decade. And I myself, I do a lot of telehealth services in the state of Kentucky, and mm-hmm. I'm able to provide parent training and consultation nationally. And I even do some missionary member care myself um, overseas through a secure video type of setting or a Skype type of setting. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing um just advancement in technology to be able to not have to travel where people like myself who are trained, who are culturally competent, who are trauma informed, can be able to provide whether it's psychoeducation or training or even potentially some legitimate counseling or psychological services through a telehealth type of setting. And I think some of the the reasons that it may seem um, maybe I don't know, questionable. And and there's probably some professionals, I'm sure maybe people are going to comment or (laughs) leave some comments and that's totally fine who disagree with me. Um, But I think that when you're in situations where there isn't access to mental health resources, we want to be able to provide children and teenagers and families with as much as we can. And if we have competent trauma-informed professionals who have the ability to Skype in or get into a tent setting in a telehealth way and provide those services, I say, that's amazing. And Mm -hmm. I think that it can be incredibly beneficial. Now, you know, is it going to be necessarily as effective as being in the room with someone? I don't know, Phil, I I couldn't tell you that a hundred percent. I know there's definitely some limitations related to specific modalities and interventions that just can't be done without being face to face Mm -hmm. with a client or a patient. But I think that probably, again, I don't know a hundred percent about this program, but everything that I've heard about, I am all for it. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to bring hope and healing to children and teenagers who've experienced trauma. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I thought. And I just wanted to confirm that. And hopefully everyone out there will, will know that there's, again, there's so many different ways we can get involved. And one, one of the things that was so encouraging to me is after having this interview with Mark at, at his church there, he, you know, had coffee with my wife and, and me in the, in, in their little cafe at the, at the church. And after him sharing about how his church has been getting involved with the refugees lives in San Diego, I was actually, I saw it in action where there was a meeting going on there with 
a refugee family that had just moved and a guy, he didn't even speak English yet, but he's already being welcomed in by the church and they're trying to help him find a job to help maybe train soccer. And we were able to connect on that point as well. And we could speak the universal language of soccer, even though he didn't speak English. (laughs) And, you know, it was the coolest thing because it really brought it to life. You know, we hear these things and I'm able to do these interviews, but because I was able to do it there, I saw it in action. So it was, it was a really special day. If you guys can't tell out there, I was, I absolutely love this interview and and it's partly because of the content, but also just because of the, the, the fact that these, these folks are the real deal. And we're going to, again, you're going to be able to hear more from them in the future when we have the second half of this interview, as we'll do with them on their book, Never Say No, which is all about parenting and, and their experiences raising uh, their boys who, you know, some of you may know out there, their boys are in, um, in the band Switchfoot and they're, they're men now, but, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty known out there, but Mark and Jan, uh, were a big part of their success. So, um, thanks again, Mark and Jan, uh, you know, for, for being uh, true and the real deal. Um, but, uh, now that will bring us to the, uh, to the segment that I always love to hear, uh, from Karen on the, the, uh, recommendations. And so, you know, I, I often give recommendations, but today Karen's going to give us one that, uh, I'm looking forward to. So Karen, what you got for us? So um, this recommendation is coming from one of my summer um, summer books that we had talked about a couple of episodes. And so one of the books that I ferociously and eagerly um, kind of sifted through this summer, and I say sifted through in a, a really positive way, it, it took a lot of um, effort and it took a lot of brain power, but it's a phenomenal book. It's called Total Truth, and it's by Nancy Piercy. And the subtitle in that is um, Understanding Christianity Through... Um, a secular worldview. I'm pretty sure that's the subtitle. Nope, it's not. Just kidding. It's liberating Christianity from its cultural captivity. I knew it was very similar. So sorry about that, Nancy Piercy. Anyway, um, Total Truth is a, a great read. It's a very kind of heady read. It's it's not a, a read that you might take to the beach, um, but it's I think it's relevant and I think it's helpful as we consider some of the issues that we've been talking about in this series with the refugee crisis. Um, is is our worldview, is our Christian worldview, is our biblical worldview, is that enough? And in her book, she talks about how a lot of times as Christians, including myself, we tend to adopt a worldview that's bound by our culture alone. And I think that's incredibly relevant for those of us who've grown up and have been raised as Americans in America. And so I think it's relevant to kind of think through what do we believe is the total truth and is our biblical worldview, is the biblical worldview that we know of from the true inherent word of God, is that enough? And so I felt like that was a really relevant recommendation for our listeners. I know it was um, incredibly engaging for me. It was um, challenging for me to read through. It felt like I was back in school, but I like that. I like that challenge. Mm -hmm. I like to read books that I can read at the beach, but this was a a challenge as well, Phil. But again, I think it would just help to kind of um, help us focus on what do we really believe and is this applicable, not just for Americans, but is this applicable outside of our culture? Right. Right. You know, and that, that's something that worldview is so important. I say that to my, my kids a lot of the times and, and to a lot of other people that I come in contact with all around the world, that worldview is everything really. 
I mean, it's how we engage the world and it's how we see things and it's how we see what justice is. It's how we see what, you know, the right way is. And, you know, we talk about best interest of the child or things like that. Worldview matters, right? So I'm so glad that you recommended that. And, you know, and I, I just, you know, as with, with everything that we're talking about here, I, I pray that you take books like that. I pray that you take, you know, the, the foremans and what they had to say in this, this movie that was made. And you just really take all these things that, that we're talking about on this, on this podcast in this Refugee Crisis series. And you really use it to, to help you to understand how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better every single day of your life. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.